Hey, Sandy. Hey, Nora. What is going on? How are you doing this weekend? <laughs> are you all set for the new holiday coming up? By the time the <laughs> listeners hear this, the holiday will be over. Oh, wait, what? In Quebec, you don't care about monarchs? What's going on over there? No, no. My God, we don't even celebrate Victoria Day. So, um, yeah, that doesn't affect us, I would say, at all, at all. But um, it's pretty interesting that, you know, you've got the NDP in British Columbia that announced a fucking public holiday. And then the Ontario government didn't announce public holiday. But then the <laughs> te- like the, the, the students are expected to, like, learn about fucking Elizabeth and have a morning of fucking silence and shit. It's just like, what? What is this? <laughs> I know. I know this like we will we will not have a public holiday, but we we demand that all teachers teach about the monarchy. Like, yeah, I I just we live in we live in upside down world and it's it's pretty, pretty ridiculous. Good, good. Well, we have some folks to thank this week before we get into the show. Thank you so much this week to Kirsty. D and Manon for your support. We really appreciate it. And to everyone that shares the podcast, tells their loved ones to listen to it, you're awesome. We depend on you. Thank you so much. And as we mentioned before, we are planning on doing a live show in Ottawa, but but very weird. We're having some difficulty finding a spot to do it in, okay? So if you are one of our listeners and you're like, I know the perfect spot to do it, and it will be available on October 21st, um, you know, hit us up. Hit us up on our email, sandyandnora at protonmail.com so that we can make that happen. Otherwise, we'll make something happen. It just might not be the greatest spot in the world, but we'll make something happen. (laughs) Yes, although it is also a very good opportunity to mention to people that Montreal, we will be there live show October 20th, and it is happening at Os Gang. Os Gang. So check that out. October 20th. We want to see you there. It's going to be a blast. Um, we're being helped out by the Concordia Students Union. So shout out to them and for, for being completely awesome. And I think it's going to be a really fun event. So Montreal and Environs, <laughs> come on. It's going to be great. All right. Okay, Nora. So this week we wanted to talk about something that we've noticed happening um, a little bit more um, as we uh, have seen some of these high-profile cases of uh, police uh, killing suspects uh, instead of bringing them in. Um, and so, you know, the, the cases that I have in mind right now are uh, the cases in Saskatchewan. And there was also a, a, a shooting um, in Toronto last week. Uh, did you did you hear about the shooting in Toronto last week, Nora? Yeah, well, it wasn't in Toronto. It was in Mississauga and Milton. And I went to high school in Milton. So I was like, oh, shooting in Milton. This is interesting. Yes. And yeah, it was, it was yes. a situation with many, like multiple sites and, you know, guns being discharged in multiple sites. And then the suspect being apprehended and then murdered in Hamilton. Yes. And um, the other weird thing about that situation as well is that um, I happened to be in Toronto for that day. And uh, very weirdly, uh, they sent out a 
uh, emergency alert all over the GTA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So millions of people got an alert that said that two people had been killed and that the suspect was at large and gave us uh, a license plate number. And I think it was like a Jeep Cherokee to look out for, a black Jeep Cherokee, and to call with any information as soon as possible. And where I was was like I was at a a conference, a sort of event. And so it was very bizarre. Like everybody's phones went off. And it was just like, uh, what are we supposed to do about this? Right. (laughs) What are we supposed to do about this? And I remember thinking to myself, I wonder who was killed because I can't imagine Toronto ever, like the Toronto police or police ever sending out something like this. I mean, just days earlier, uh, there were three people who were killed at the Rolling Loud concert. And I was like, it must have been someone who's uh, deemed important uh, to society who must have been killed for them to have sent out something like this, an emergency alert. And sure enough, it was a police officer Mm -hmm. who was killed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's two different issues here that I think really do warrant us talking about them. And the first is this acceptability around shooting suspects. And then the second Mm -hmm. is around these alerts, which I have always been very uncomfortable by. And I would love to have a a quick conversation about the alerts themselves uh, and and, and what they Mm -hmm. mean in in an era where we have shrinking media coverage and fewer journalists to actually translate to the public what is going on. And instead, we've got the police coming to us directly. But let's talk about that first thing first. So we have had two very high profile uh, incidences of crime, of horrendous crime, where the suspects were not kept alive by the police. In the first situation, uh, that's the, the the murder rampage at James Smith Cree Nation. We don't know what's going on there. We don't know what happened. They, they, they detained the suspect after a manhunt of, of many days, and he died. I mean, the initial reports was that he died from an overdose or that maybe he, it was self-inflicted. Considering like the, the the police's job for the last like the previous couple of days was to find this individual, it seems very difficult to imagine a situation where the guy had enough freedom to then kill himself. So there's a lot, a lot of questions. And the RCMP has not been forthcoming with the information about what they're saying has happened. If anything, it's been very like, oh, why are you doubting us? Like, let the process play itself out. It's like, okay. So that's piece one. Piece two is this shooting incident in the West End of the greater Toronto area. And again, someone shot and killed rather than being apprehended. In both cases, the suspects were not white. They were black and indigenous. And in both situations, the crimes were so abhorrent that I instantly go to a cynical place and say, well, the police knew that they could get away with just shooting them. And they did. Now, that's me being extremely cynical. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe something happened. But like their literal job is to keep people alive so that we can actually have a trial and actually figure out what was going on. And when the main suspect is dead, that is very, very difficult to then actually hear from them. It just feels like we're in this in this era where 
that kind of thing is more and more accepted because in the name of like the heinous crimes, like, well, what do you expect? You want these horrible people to be kept alive. And it's like, well, that's how the justice system is supposed to work in this country. Yeah, I think that there's a way that um, what these two cases uh, kind of point out to us is that we are okay with losing something that is supposed to be sacrosanct in our quote unquote, you know, legal system, um, justice system, quote, is where the quotes should, should be, but I'll refer to it as legal system, in that we are supposed to be able to um, investigate, to hear, like there's supposed to be a, um, a tenet that people are innocent until they are proven guilty, that people have a chance to explain themselves, to, uh, to speak to for themselves what happened so that we get a sense of the context around um, what might be uh, leading to these acts of violence and um, or even if it was them themselves like we you know we everything that we know about these situations um, is being told to us right like we are trusting what we're being told but it could be that, you know, we have some information incorrect. It's very important for us uh, to be able to have people go through some sort of system to make sure that everything was done correctly. The failure to do so amounts to uh, it's an extrajudicial execution. That's what it is. We don't have the death penalty in this country unless you trouble the queen or some shit, whatever. She's dead, though, so... I think we're good. I guess it's God's fault. Put God on trial. <laughs> you know, we don't actually have uh, the, the death penalty in Canada. So we should not only not be okay um, when it is becoming increasingly um, uh, more and more likely or we're hearing more and more that the police are killing suspects instead of bringing them in. We should always, there should always be some sort of outrage. And we should also be outraged that we don't get any information about why it is that they weren't able to bring these people in um, uh, until much later. In both cases, we're hearing, ah, we can't say any information about um, you know, all of this different stuff we're getting around uh, Miles Sanderson from Saskatchewan, which is, you know, self-inflicted, that it was an overdose, that he just died in police custody. None of this stuff is corroborated. We don't know anything really. And what the police are saying, what the RCMP is saying is simply that they can't say anything because it would interfere with an investigation. Well, I'm not really sure how it interfered with an investigation that you just tell us what you're telling the investigators. Like, that's not much of an interference. At least we should know something about it. Um, and similarly... Certainly not when the perpetrator is dead. <laughs> He's not on trial. Yes, exactly. And so I, you know, it is very strange to me that we don't get this information right away. And not only that, we probably won't get this information until a months long, if not years long investigation is done. Um, and then by that time, any potential outrage that could have captured the public's attention and created some sort of uh, public pressure uh, around these situations is likely to be placated by the passage of time. Well, and that's the real problem, right? Because like in the moment of looking at the heinous crimes, 
the easy thing to do is to call for mob justice, which is to just, well, who cares? These guys are murderers. They should be fucking killed. As you said, this is an extrajudicial killing. And we don't get the information like we it's anyone's guess if the information is going to ever come out. Really, you know, I, I immediately think about the shooting in Quebec City and the rumors that swirled in the aftermath about what motivated the shooter and his potential relationships and all this stuff that m- no one in Canada would have heard. Folks in the community knew this stuff because we were all talking and you hear these rumors. But it wasn't until he had his sen- sentencing trial, which is where actually the whole of this guy's life was laid on display from the age of 16, where he was motivated to do a mass shooting until the age of 27. Wow. And you could see the times in his life where he uh, wrote about it, where he talked about doing it, where he even tried to do it and failed. Like, It's really tough stuff to read, and it's not something that I recommend most people read, certainly not the people most connected to the 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 what happened. Like there's no reason to read this stuff. But it gives you tremendous insights into the 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 life and the mentality of someone who commits a mass murder. Why is that important? Well, because if we actually want to prevent these things, then we need to know what patterns are and what are the causes and blah, blah, blah. Like obviously. Now we have the benefit of Bisonette being alive. That's a huge benefit. But then you think of someone like Gabriel Wartman, the the guy who did the biggest mass shooting in Can- Canadian history. There's a mass casualty commission on right now to try and figure out what happened because, again, he was shot and killed. He was shot and killed at a gas station once he was recognized by police. Now, this week, and, from, and this is, you know, April 2020. So this week, information has come out in the mass casualty commission that he often... Uh, traded dental work for sex with low income and black women like how is this coming out yeah yeah this is just coming out now that this has been like submitted as evidence from people who work within black communities in nova scotia and halifax specifically saying no this guy was known and he he had these predatory behaviors and he often traded dental work for sex the guy isn't alive. And so the amount of other work to go into figuring out what the hell happened there is is far higher than had he been kept alive. But this is really, really difficult and uh, like difficult stuff because no politician wants to stand up and say, like, Gabriel Wartman should have been kept alive or Miles Sanderson should be kept alive or the or the shooter in the in the in the in the situation in, in, in the greater Toronto area should be kept alive because then you have the mob being like, oh, you just you hate the victims like you you just you just are a bleeding heart or whatever the hell people might say. But it's a real shame because we are like far worse off as a society every single time someone dies before they're able to actually go to trial. Yeah, I mean, gosh, have you have you seen the the, the reporting around what happened in Petrie's case in Milton? Only a little bit because I've been on the road, but uh, but a little bit I've seen. Sean yeah. Petrie, even even that is a little suspicious because it says you know um, 
I'm, I'm reading directly from the Toronto Star now. Officers from Halton and Hamilton Police confront, confront Petrie at Mount Hamilton Cemetery on York Boulevard at 4.30 p.m. near the off-ramp from Highway 403 into Hamilton. There is an exchange of gunfire and Petrie is fatally shot. Petrie is handcuffed. An ambulance is called. And officers perform CPR. <laughs> uh, that order doesn't seem right. The order is off. It's a little off. He dies at the scene. All of this, of course, we are getting that information from the police. And it, you know, I have seen reports before where we're told that there is an exchange of gunfire when there's only one side that's firing a gun. So, you know, I've, I just become very skeptical around this sort of stuff. And I want to know um, what actually happened. Uh, and, you know, as soon as the police uh, prioritize killing someone rather than bringing them in, um, we we lose the ability to, to get that information. All of this, what this points to, to me, is the way that we think about uh, people who carry out uh, violence in, in our communities as people who are not deserving of uh, the same sorts of due process as anybody else. We think of people who have been labeled um, people who commit crimes as who've been labeled criminals as people who are not part of our communities, as people who are not deserving uh, in our communities, uh, who are not afforded the same sort of rights as anybody else. And that's very, very dangerous. It's a very, very, very dangerous thing. Not just because not only is it the case that a lot of people who get arrested shouldn't have been arrested in the first place, either because they're innocent or the things that we label crimes um, shouldn't be labeled crimes, um, but also just because we never really know what's happening in any of these situations. And unless we are a society that is, you know, similar to the old style monarchy where we're just in favor of banishment and, um, and executions whenever somebody uh, is suspected to do something wrong, which I hope we're not headed towards being that kind of society, but I'm skeptical now. Um, unless we are that kind of society, we should all be outraged at this sort of eventuality. It should never be the case that, uh, that it is okay that police are killing people instead of bringing them in. We should be as furious... Uh, about uh, the 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 violence that's being carried out, absolutely. Um, you know, this is not to say that we shouldn't be upset about the violence that has been carried out uh, in Saskatchewan, in Milton, in Nova Scotia, in Quebec City, in all over the country. But we, if we are serious about wanting to prevent these things from happening. And if we are serious about, you know, being the sort of society that is uh, going to be attentive to um, the issues that surround uh, violence, because none of these people are just individuals unto themselves. They all are people who are connected to a community, to families, whether we want to, um, to appreciate that about them or not, they are. And if we want to be able to deal with these things in a, in a manner that doesn't perpetuate further violence and in a manner that ensures that we are attempting to prevent further violence from happening, 
we can't just keep allowing police to just kill people rather than bring them in and give them their rights. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, in the last year, uh, Wikipedia has a pretty good little list of of police shooting uh, victims, although I don't think that this is fully up to date. But back in February, Let George Tuell was killed after refusing to drop his knife and, as this said, having a lengthy confrontation with police. They used baton rounds, tasers, a police dog, uh, and then he was shot dead when he continued to confront the police while holding his knife, says the Wikipedia entry, which I'm sure is just kind of ripping off the news report. Then you had the two twin brothers, Matthew and Isaac Octroloni, who were like suspected of a bank robbery and then died in a shootout with police in Saanich. There was the guy, uh, Jordan Goggin, who was suspected of, sh- of targeting homeless people. He was also shot and killed by police in BC and Langley. And then a, a, a higher profile uh, situation than that was Chris Amiot, an Ojibwe man who was maced and then shot and killed by a beanbag gun. You know, it's like we know that police get away with this stuff. Like anybody paying attention to what's happening on Ontario will know that it took, what, two years almost for us to hear any information about the officers who shot and killed Jameson Shapiro, who is a baby, 18-month-old baby, shot and killed his father, William. Uh, That was awful. Yeah, that was the Kawartha Lakes OPP. And uh, and in that situation, very rare result, which was uh, Nathan Vander Hayden, Kenneth Pegley, and Grayson Kappas, who have all been charged with the count of manslaughter, which I think is only related to the baby and not to the father. And it's like, like once you get to that level where the police can shoot babies and then it takes even two years for us to hear that there's going to be charges laid. I mean, there's no justice. It just feels like justice is just completely slipping out of our hands. And when you have a situation where someone is committing a heinous crime, Like, what is the repercussions for the police? Like, the police that shot and killed uh, the shooter in Hamilton or the shooter at James Smith Cree Nation, what are the repercussions for those police officers? There's not going to be any. We fucking know there's not going to be any. So why wouldn't they shoot people dead if they have the chance? Like, this is actually the difficult question that we have to grapple with within the society. It's as basic as that. And I think in a world where we know what we know now, right? Like we are, this is a post-2020 world. This is a a world where uh, I don't think anyone can say with a straight face, like we can just trust the police um, in any situation, let alone a situation where somebody is shot. Um, You know, we, we cannot accept this. And so, you know, I... I know that we are at a point in time in society where um, organizing uh, in Canada is at uh, pretty dire levels with respect to uh, the left and the sorts of things that we tend to focus on. Um, Sometimes we lose focus, let's just say that. And, you know, we really do require uh, people who are organizing, just ordinary citizens, to, to... to be to respond with some 
um, furor, with outcry uh, at this sort of thing. This is not <laughs> the sort of thing that we should be seeing um, in what is supposed to be a uh, like a free democratic society is just um, executions, state executions um, that are carried out with impunity and where there is no disincentive to do so. I mean, we have to understand that this is happening in a context where even when it's clear that the police are in, in the best of situations when you're talking about, um, you know, the, the, the most uh, ideal sort of um, uh, case to show that the police are wrong and um, that they have wronged a citizen um, where the, the person who has been killed uh, could be someone who has been uh, going through a mental health crisis or someone who was uh, unarmed and the police mistook something for a weapon, whatever it may be, or the, or the, or the victim is a baby, for Christ's sakes. Even in those situations, they're not receiving this sort of outcry and, um, and you know, frustration from the public, uh, from the media even, that they should be getting, um, saying that this is absolutely horrifying and that none of this uh, should be happening and it is completely unacceptable. So in these situations um, where the public is more willing to um, be like, oh, this, this person seems like a, like a heinous criminal, even though we don't know that about any of these situations. We don't know. We just know that something horrifying has happened, but we don't know the context and parameters around what actually happened. Um, of course, there's no incentive. If there's no incentive um, to, there's no disincentive to not shoot a baby. There's certainly no disincentive to ensure um, that someone like Miles Sanderson, um, you know, gets uh, taken in in the way that they should be. Mm -hmm. Well, and to talk about incentives, I mean, it's even worse than that. There are actually incentives to kill people like the, the legal system is overwhelmed. Murder cases are complex. Every person who's summarily executed in the process of them being arrested is one less complex legal process that the state doesn't have to deal with. So there has to be a counterbalance reason for why police would not you know, resort to, to shooting someone if the circumstances allowed for it. And then like all of this, like, oh, they had a gun, their life was in danger. It's like their fucking literal job as police is to not kill people. I mean, we know they kill people. So, I mean, they're not super good at that job, but like they're supposed to keep people alive so that they can go through legal processes because if there's no incentive to keep them alive and there's incentives to actually kill them because it saves the system a lot of money, there's there's nowhere to go. Like, that's a dead end. And that's like, you know, we're in this increasing, uh, increasing tough on crime kind of moment where, you know, Stephen Harper transformed a lot of our laws in ways that, you know, should have created outcry and they created outcry from anti-conservatives. 
And then Justin Trudeau did very, very little to undo a lot of those reforms. A lot of those reforms are still in place. We've had the Supreme Court take its position on multiple life sentences in prisons as being unconstitutional. And so that's been, you know, punted back to legislators to have to sort through because you you can't give you can't give out these multiple life sentences the way that Stephen Harper's tough on crime, so-called tough on crime legislation uh, allowed for in 2011. But Trudeau didn't have the courage to do that. And then I mean, like, fuck, the NDP is like nowhere on this stuff. Like, no way are they going to take a position that is like a little bit touchy, a little bit sensitive. That requires a little bit of courage because they're just not going to do that. And so if that's the political world that we have, then the only people that we can rely on are activists, which are just not, they just don't have the networks, the platform, the access to mainstream media to be able to normalize these things in the minds of Canadians. And so what becomes normal is, well, the guy had a gun. It's suicide by cop. What the fuck do you expect? And it's like, I fucking expect the cops to not shoot and kill people. That's actually what I expect. Now, if that's too much to expect, then let's have a fucking conversation about how their job of police is to shoot and kill people. I I just also wanted to mention um, the way that uh, some people who are coming from the James Smith Cree Nation uh, have been responding uh, to this. Um, there has been some really interesting reports that are not coming out of uh, the James Cree uh, First Nation that talk about how Miles Sanderson was out on parole and that this may represent a failure of the legal system and that he should have been locked up and that it could have been um, that this was preventable if uh, we were tougher on crime, so on and so on. Um, but in fact, uh, people from uh, James Smith Cree Nation and even people who ha whose family mem families have been impacted have talked about how this is um, a time uh, to forgive, how this is a time to be uh, together in mourning, um, how this is a time to focus on uh, the victims and what the needs are of uh, their families to to have ceremony to um, to engage in healing and to honor the victims and have also spoken about how um, this sort of uh, carrying out of violence is in fact a part of cycles of violence that are connected to colonialism in this country and that you know, there is uh, still a lot of love in the community for, for people who were lost, those who were uh, victims of the, the knife violence, in addition to those who uh, were carrying those vi that violence out, who are still seen as people who were part of the community, who also deserved love and, um, and support, and that it is very difficult to think about how... Um, these violences uh, show up in our lives and uh, perpetuate in cycles. And I've, I've been really struck by that. Like there are different, there are different ways that we could be as a society, as a whole, responding to violence. Um, and I think, you know, the knee jerk reaction of like, 
yeah, these people should have been locked up before somehow. Um, you know, we, there should have been violence um, laid upon them in some other way uh, because, you know, locking someone up, taking them from their family, um, having that family um, harmed in that process, you know, that's those are forms of violence as well. I mean, that sort of response, I think we know at this point that that doesn't prevent violent outbursts and crime. Like if it did, I mean, we at this point uh, in history, I think um, certainly in the United States, but also just worldwide, there are probably more people locked up than there ever have been. Uh, And, you know, violent crime continues to happen. I think we know that 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 isn't the answer. And to see that um, so, uh, so fully understood and articulated uh, by people from this community really publicly saying like, this is, you know, this is how we feel about this. And, you know, it doesn't matter that the rest of you folks are expressing something different in your, in your newspapers. I was really struck by that. And I think that that's um, uh, something that, that deserves some attention. There are different ways uh, for us to uh, to respond to, to these acts of violence. And as with so many other things, um, Indigenous knowledges uh, can teach us about that. And also that, like, as social conditions worsen in Canada, as crises of affordability and paying for the necessities of life and healthcare system collapses and social services collapse, we're going to see more active violence. Like that's, that's, I mean, obviously no one listening to this podcast should be like, whoa, I've never thought of that before. Like this is obviously what happens. And so for anyone to turn the channel on these issues and talk about tough on crime, more jail time, this kind of thing, rather than talking about the social conditions that create these situations. I mean, colonization is very obviously present as the overarching cause and situational background at what happened at James Smith Cree Nation. But like, will we ever find out what actually happened with the shooting in Mississauga and Milton and Hamilton? I don't know. Like, there's stories coming out about the shooter's connection to the auto body shop that he was at, that he worked there. Was there a relationship between him and the police officer? Like, we don't, like, who fucking knows? Like, is that ever going to come out? I, I, I don't think we'll probably ever get the full story there. And so, again, without the full story, we'll never be able to talk about the ways that we can actually try and solve some of these issues and then that just completely satisfy satisfies people in power who look to the police as the solution to everything and will just continue to reach to the police for more solutions to the problems that they are creating through austerity and through cutbacks and through letting our social services collapse it's i mean it's very tiresome (laughs) it's very like you think we're not fucking watching yeah well They probably don't. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to go back to this issue of Amber Alerts because it seems like we never really had a debate about Amber Alerts in society. It's always like, well, I mean, if a child's getting abducted, like anything, I could be woken up at the fucking three in the morning. Like as long as that child doesn't die, like I'm good with it. Right. And it's like that's the depth of our like conversations on Amber Alerts. But I, I can't see these these like messages, push messages to our phones Outside of the context of increasing media concentration and and fewer journalists, 
being able to do the work of police and and evaluate what police are saying and let us know whether or not we need to hear about it right away or if we need to hear a couple of voices first. And it's really interesting that that that's not a conversation at all. It's like, of course, police should have direct access to our phones. <laughs> yes. It's like, like, what the fuck? It's so bizarre because I, you know, like I, I, I think I said something about it on Twitter and I got some interesting responses back. Some people who were like, yeah, yeah, that was very strange. Uh, you know, I got some text messages from people being like, what the fuck was that? Like someone really important must have died, which I think was the most obvious takeaway. Um, but then other people being like, of course I wanted to receive that. Like, yeah, I want to know when things like that happened. It's like, really? I mean, you, you, we have to think to ourselves, all of the people who are receiving that, because remember that these sorts of alerts are not like opt-in. Everyone with a cell phone gets it. Everyone in the target area. So sure, you might be sending it to people who are walking down the street. You may also be sending it to a bunch of sixth graders in a classroom (laughs) who are just like sitting amongst (laughs) each other. I don't know how sixth grade works right now anymore. Like, do they have to hand in their, do they have to hand in their cell phones before they sit on the carpet? I'm not sure. If so, a whole drawer of phones started buzzing and a teacher had to like, wow, what's going on here? Anyone who's like in a hospital dealing with an emergency of their own receives that. Uh, You know, people who are like waiting at the airport for, you know, whatever they need to do next. It's just a really bizarre decision to send an in a, an, a non-opt-outable alert to millions and millions of people in a huge area to say someone and this is all it said for those people who were in you know in uh, Toronto at that time that two people were shot and the gunman was on the loose and that he was in a black Jeep Cherokee and this is the license plate. And it was like, I like what am I being instructed to take cover because I am in immediate danger <laughs> or am I being deployed, like enlisted as a s- support officer for police to search <laughs> for this license plate number because... I'm not going to do that. And nobody should be expected to do that. That is very bizarre. And I don't know what other reason there would be to send something like that out. Now, if I got a message, tornado coming, take cover. I'm good with it. I'm like, cool. This makes sense. (laughs) There is something in which I need to be informed right away. I need to, um, to, to do what I can to, to be safe, to make sure other members of my family are safe, whatever. But this sort of thing seems to be like an extension of watching um, the news where we get that huge portion of the beginning that is like tells us about how bad crime is, mm. even though really what that amounts to in terms of people's specific lives is just kind of a way to to justify a political 
maneuvering that is like tough on crime, even though that sort of stuff is not really related to what's happening um, in communities with respect to crime. It just seems like another form of that because I can't do anything with this information. All that this information tells me is later on when the police say, hey, we did our jobs with respect to that. I can remember that they sent me something to my phone that had nothing to do with me and I couldn't do anything about. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking of the last couple of ones that I've received. Uh, I received one for a community eight hours away. I received one for a community four hours away. And in that case, the child was abducted by a father and was just at their home and was adopted on an ATV? Like, what the... Am I in the fucking woods? Like, what am I supposed to do with that? And then the most tragic, the one that was closest to us, by the time the police actually put out an Amber Alert that the two little girls had already been killed, which we would not know for a couple of days. And so this is a whole other side of this this issue that I get so frustrated by. No one in media is following up on this stuff. Like, Sometimes we find out what they knew and that, oh, actually, it was sent out too late. But there's never any like reckoning with whether or not that actually hurts public trust in these alerts that actually diminishes their effectiveness. Um, If you're trying to target people in their cars, why are you using cell phones in the first place at all? Like, yeah, this is what I don't understand. Like, fucking the majority of people who drive in the middle of the day are in single occupancy cars and you're fucking pushing, like, text messages to us? What the fuck? While you're driving, and then you're supposed to pick up your car, or your, your phone, be like, oh, I'll look out for this car. Like, that's fucked. What, what is the better way to do that? You go through mass media. You go through the radio. That's the better fucking way to do that. So, again, as you say, unless you're telling people to run and fucking hide or take cover from an incoming storm, I did get a, an alert that did help me almost make it home on time from a storm. <laughs> these are these are literally just priming us to be okay with direct police messaging with very like absolutely no critical thought in what's contained in them and just making us go, oh, there's a criminal on the loose. Oh. And so for me, I'm very concerned because it's like, what's the oversight? What's the decision-making processes to like send these out? I know the Mass Casualty Commission in Nova Scotia is considering a lot of these questions because they didn't send out an, uh, an alert saying like, watch out, there's a fucking guy who like might be killing people and he might be also looking like a cop right now. But they never would have sent out a real Amber Alert to say mm-hmm. man dressed like RCMP might kill you on the side of the road because he was dressed like an RCMP officer. That's why they would never send that out. And mm-hmm. again, you're sending it to people on the road while they're driving and not looking at their phones. Like it just doesn't make any fucking sense. And it's really... It's it, it's it's so similar to this issue of police shooting suspects instantly. It's emotional. There's knee-jerk reaction. The knee-jerk reaction makes sense. Uh, people want to see instant justice. People want to see uh, victims uh, getting some sort of, I don't know, justice, I guess, in some way. Uh, people want to be aware of things happening in their communities, But we don't fucking need the police to be doing that. We need local news. We need local journalists. We need like people that can actually translate that information and send it out to us. And we're so interconnected that I don't need my fucking phone blinking to say there's an Amber Alert. I'm going to see that on Twitter within like fucking three seconds unless I'm driving. But I don't know. Like maybe this is just too much of a conversation to have considering like where society is at these days. 
And maybe also they wouldn't have sent out the the notification saying that guy dressed like RCMP officer might shoot and kill you because that is always true for a lot of people. <laughs> well, there is that. There's also that. No, but uh, in all in all seriousness, like I, I, I do think that you're right. There needs to be some sort of uh, debate as to whether or not we need these things and why if we do and in what situations and who's going to be deemed important enough to send out information about and who is not. I mean, uh, like I said, there were there were multiple killings, uh, shootings that week uh, in Toronto. There was only one alert sent out. Um, and it was this one. And I think it is not at all unrelated to the fact that a police officer died. Like that is the reason. And it's, you know, it's, it's that when these sorts of things are taken with the utmost seriousness and is, is this a sign of being taken with the utmost seriousness? I, I don't know. Either way, like when, when that sort of thing came to my phone, I just like felt like this is completely useless. The last couple times that I got an alert living in Los Angeles was one to be like, the electricity grid is about to shut off. Please (laughs) shut off all of your electronics (laughs) because it is way too hot out here and this could endanger people's lives. Uh, People who, who require the electricity to be on in order to stay alive. So please, please, please stop using unnecessary electronics. And the time before that uh, was COVID. It was COVID uh, curfews that were being set in Los Angeles and being told to stay inside the house after 4 p.m. because we weren't allowed to go outside. I mean, and every once in a while we get them for fires, fire alerts. And to me, you know, like, again, that sort of stuff makes sense. But I would also really love to have some sort of, uh, you know, uh, public discussion around when we get them and when we don't and what makes sense and what does not. Because quite frankly, I mean, this one that I got in a room full of people at a conference who could do nothing about this anyway, uh, except for stare at each other and wow, that's a weird post COVID moment that we nobody was expecting. I mean, it was it was just useless and um, and disruptive. And there was there was nothing useful about it other than to get you primed for when you did read the news but even even that <laughs> it primed for what to be told that the that the alert had been rescinded and that the person was now dead no to 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 give you to give you like a th- solid 30 minutes or 45 minutes of feeling like there was severe danger and then the relief of don't worry we've shot this guy dead like that is the most cynical reading of this and that's where i go instantly yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. That is that is the only utility of it. And I just hope we're at the point where we can see past that kind of bullshit. But I fear we're not.